Uh, Travis, is the double-decker tour bus parked outside the reason Rachel's upset with you? Uh, wait, what? Rachel's mad at me? Uh, who said that? Uh, yeah, I, I thought you knew, but I, I can't really blame her. I mean, if you're over here working on another girl's bus, it, it, it kind of made, you kind of made it a commitment to her, man. Oh, no, 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 no. It's nothing like that. Uh, the, the bus thing. I, I, I signed a new fleet account, so you should be happy about that. Uh, I don't know if you've heard. It's a city tour thing. A couple brothers are doing it. Uh, they said they might have boats and planes uh, in the future if the if the bus goes well. Okay, yeah, that, that that's cute. But, you know, after the whole spaceship fiasco, I thought we agreed we weren't going to be dabbling in anything that wasn't designed for the road right now. Uh, that, that's fair. But uh, wait, so what did Rachel say? Uh, she just asked me to come by and grab your bowling shirt. She really doesn't want you playing tonight. My bowling shirt? Wait, hold on. That's 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 ridiculous. I'm the best bowler on the team. Uh, I mean, no offense. Uh, you know, none taken, but don't you think there's maybe more important things you should be focusing on right now? Uh, more important than the regional quarterfinals? Um, maybe, but, you know, that's what I've been focusing on because brett to be a champion what you have to understand is you have to have oh, a look it's, uh, that's it right there just, i'll go ahead and grab it just yeah see you later yeah. no some personal shit uh oh brett uh, i wasn't i wasn't done see you have to come to win a championship you, you have to you have to fucking focus you have to put the personal shit aside brett Okay, I'm right. All right, son of a bitch. Okay, yeah, y'all motherfuckers go bowling tonight. That's fine. Yeah, maybe I'll go out. I'll, I'll go out to 2 a.m. I, I don't have anything going on mañana. I'll do what the fuck I want. Yeah, all right. Yeah, partners. Let's start, let's start, a, let's start a, a mechanics garage. Motherfucker, you need to watch Band of Brothers before you do anything. Before we do that, let's review the breakup. Gary and Brooke start a battle royale over the ownership of their luxury apartment after an abrupt, almost nonchalant breakup. Unfortunately, neither has Jim Gordon to remind them that the risk of escalation as the feud goes from simple acts of making each other jealous to spiteful plots to crush the spirit of the other. It's a classic battle of the sexes, but who will prevail? The man stunted in his own maturity or the manipulative woman trying to teach her ex a lesson while still trying to win him back? Let's find out as we review The Breakup. We are your Cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. Alrighty, Travis, go ahead and give it to me. What is your diagnostic for this movie? Um, so I, I was excited to review this because uh, this is one that I've enjoyed uh, since it was released. I firmly had it in like the old school Wedding Crashers uh, kind of movie uh, with Vince Vaughn, you know, Will Ferrell, the the, the normal crew. Um. I remember watching it at the time, unfortunately, with a date uh, because, uh, yeah, the title yeah. should be an indication, but it's not necessarily the perfect rom-com if you're just looking for an easy date movie. But that being said, I, I that's a compliment for me. Uh, this movie was as funny as I remember, if not funnier, but also uh, through the lens of a 35-year-old man now, I think it it does a great realistic job of portraying relationships, uh, both good and when they go bad. So uh, I think there's a lot to, to love about this movie. Um, and, and of course, we'll get into it. What were your general thoughts? Um, it is it is definitely not their traditional rom-com. And watching it, I thought, I think this movie was probably ahead of its time in terms of actually taking a more 
I hate to say this realistic approach to like to a breakup, um, as opposed to it being kind of like that cookie cutter rom com. Oh, it's it's great, you know. Spoiler alert: they you know they get back together at the end. Where this one they they don't like, um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, it, it's funny to me as I was watching it, it was very clearly a early to mid 2000s movie because I don't know what it was about that era in, in movies, particularly rom-coms, the way they're shot with the lighting. It's like almost it's a little aggressive on on the highlights and stuff like that where certain shots almost feel like they're they're cat- or teetering on being blown out because it's almost this whimsical feel to the whole movie. Um, so it's like it was immediately dated in, in that sense to me, um, just from a visual standpoint. I, I thought the story was, was still holds up, you know, uh, not have seeing it in 2006. I did think it was funny. You, you brought up Vince Vaughn and like that old crew. This is like at the, the time where Vince Vaughn is in the middle of his like rom-com like stint where like that seemed to be like what he was known in Hollywood. You know, he had just done he was a side character, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, he had done Wedding Crashers. He did this. Then shortly after this, I think he did uh, Four Christmases and then like basically finished up that run with um, what was the movie um, where they were like Couples Retreat. Yeah, Couples Retreat. And then there was a couple others scattered in there, like um, the one where he the, the kid goes into the wilderness. But for the most part, like he kind of become the I guess quintessential rom-com guy for like a stint of about four, four or five years there. And this was kind of in the middle of that. So um, I, I enjoyed the movie. I did think it was interesting, you know, I, in terms of messaging what you got from it, but like the whole movie basically caters around the idea of like communication is very important <laughs> throughout the entire movie because, uh, and we'll get into, you know, with some of my favorite things of the movie, but like they make it very clear that like a lot of this could have been alleviated had the, the two protagonists or the two main characters just sat down and talked with one another rather than just constantly assuming the other's thoughts or what the other one needed or like they should know to do this for me. So, um, Overall, like like you said, I, I think it was it is a very realistic take on many modern relationships. Um, it is one of those movies I have a hard time necessarily identifying with, just because I've, you know, I met my wife, you know, freshman year of, of college, so like I've never had one of these relationships where like we explode on each other. I remember watching my parents do it, but like I don't have a firsthand account to necessarily be able to sit in the shoes and be able to like, oh, I totally understand where they're coming from with this. Um, well. You and listeners, you're in luck because I have been in these <laughs> relationships before, so I can certainly speak from a uh, firsthand view. So this will be an interesting contrast on on maybe how we feel about how individual things play out. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a perfect time to kind of just roll into uh, some of the things you liked about the movie specifically. Maybe we can kind of uh, parse them together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, um, all right, Travis, do you want to go ahead and start us off with what your favorite things were? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, it, it kind of sparked my, my memory here with some of the notes that I took because you used the word communication and, uh, literally, you know, one of my favorite things about this movie is, yeah, you're, you're right in saying that if people had just sat down, you know, Brooke and, and Gary had just sat down at some point and had the conversation that they essentially have, uh, when Gary kind of throws the hail Mary by, by making the romantic dinner, if they had had that talk, um, you know, after their first fight, I think things would be fine. We wouldn't have a movie, of course, mm-hmm. but I do appreciate it's not so simple as to say, you know, if they had just talked this, this would have been fine because in a lot of like teen dramas, I don't know, it's probably been decades since you've watched one, but 
or even the show Lost, if you don't want to do a teen drama, that show so many times characters would just not have basic conversations mm-hmm. just because if they did, the plot would be over. This movie doesn't feel like that. All the situations where they should talk and, and the movie makes it explicitly clear, especially after their first fight, you can tell that Brooke wants Gary to come in and have that conversation and you can tell he wants to. But then at the last second he just leaves instead yeah there's a couple of those moments and they feel real so i'm not mad that they're not talking about it because i believe the characters in their motivations as to why those conversations aren't happening does that make sense no absolutely it, uh, but what, what what do you think about that in general but uh, in the movie well i think it was absolutely well done and and to that point my one of my my top um uh, things of the movie is 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 kind of how every time one of the characters seems to have an assumption as to what the other is thinking, it immediately flips to how they're completely wrong. Like, and it happens throughout the entire movie. And again, I, it just goes back and it pounds on that that whole theme of communication because it'll be like, you know, when um, when Brooke decides to date the nerdy guy, she's like, you know, this isn't going to make Gary jealous. And then it immediately flips to Gary is extremely jealous of the nerdy guy, right? Like, who's this? Who's, why am I supposed to be jealous of some guy who knows how to do computers and all that? I'm like, so she completely doesn't understand that. And then when she decides to best him by bringing in like, Oh, the good looking kind of athletic guy, Gary flips it over and basically puts it back. It's like, Oh no, you, you just brought me what I needed. And then it's just, it's constantly with him flipping back and forth. Even when, um, you know, Brooke talks to her boss. I forget what's the I don't know if you know the, the name of the, the woman who owns the Marilyn gal. Dean, Marilyn Dean. Um, when she talks to her and Marilyn Dean tells her what to do, like, oh, you just need to, you know, it's it's paint by numbers. It's as simple as, you know, you just need to, to make him feel wanted and all that. And even that winds up not being right. Like it's constantly them getting advice from other people that winds up being wrong or them making assumptions about the other person. And all of that winds up just being incorrect where it's like, yeah, because you're only looking at one portion of the story, the side that you know, the side or, you know, when they're talking to their friends, it's the part of the story like, you know. When John Favre, you know, he's he's talking, you know, clearly he's interjecting how he's been burned by somebody like, oh, she's got to be sleeping with somebody else. And it's like some Puerto Rican, some Puerto Rican. It's like they're just putting their life story into your narrative and it doesn't fit because it's not right. So it's like you have to stop like trying to force someone else's story or solution into your problem. And like it is echoed throughout the movie that that is a problem, you know, where they just constantly do not communicate. Yes, and I think to further your point, it's funny to contrast the the conversations that Brooke has with her friend, uh, played by Joey Lauren Adams, uh, to contrast that with the conversation that Gary has with John Favreau, Johnny O, because they're they're completely different in the approach, both wrong approaches at times. <laughs> Um, Joey Lauren Adams is talking about, you know, hey, you did the right thing. You stood up for yourself. You let him know that that's not acceptable. All that kind of psychobabble that is very popular, uh, you know, in relationship advice segments. And then on the flip side, you have the men just even more misguided because it's either a she's cheating on you because, you know, hey, you got to get this program to, to check her email so that, you know, uh, you can find out who she's running around with. And then later on, it's, well, hey, you know, make a few phone calls around 10. Basically, hey, I'll kill this guy. That's that's <laughs> their solution to it, or at least Johnny O's solution. So it's just funny, like you said, misguided, but in completely different ways. Well, it always comes back with the, with the minute has to do with their egos, right? It's always like, 
it's they can't do anything wrong so therefore if there's a problem it's some she's doing something wrong like you know and, and it, or it there's an back. outside force yeah. that is do- causing it to go wrong mm-hmm. exactly yep. so no i i like i said i thought the uh that was was, was a great example again i i just love the idea of like and just it's not even like it is almost hard cuts to like them being wrong like oh this will make them jealous and immediately hard cuts to the next scene of it not working or not being the way that they thought it was gonna 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 play out um it actually kind of you know that kind of leads into one of my favorite scenes of the, of the movie is actually it's it's after the strip poker match and Brooke comes home and the strobe lights going on on the dance floor and all that and and Gary is sitting there I assume completely naked I don't know but just the look on his face because to me that's that's when it's over that was of, of all the escalations that would the battle's finally over gary has i guess you know you could say one between the two because i think after that brooke decides she's gonna have to try and mend the relationship she's done trying to to manipulate gary but like on his face i feel like it vince vaughn does such a good job whether he meant to or not of just completely drained like what was the cost of winning you know like vince vaughn went nuclear he did what he had to do he finally he won the battle between the two of them but at what cost? You know, he looks completely drained and, and almost lifeless at that point, you know? Uh, I'm glad you brought that scene up because honestly, I it had slipped my mind. But it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying, too, about the way this movie was shot. That's the only time where I felt the drama was coming from anywhere other than the script. Uh, because the way that was lit. Part of it was this was a PG-13 movie, so we we have to make it really dark. We can't show these strippers in all their glory. (laughs) Um, But a byproduct of that is it it kind of just illuminates Vince Vaughn's face in mostly just his eyes. And and like you said, the acting he does there, because I've read what you read as well. um, But there's just so much going on there, you know, at what cost. But in this might spoil some of my later feelings and, and, and what I'll talk about what I would change about the movie, but he still also has a look of, this is your fucking fault. You started this too. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think he has taken any accountability at that point of what led to the breakup. So I think he's drained, but he's also still wrong in the way he's thinking about all of this. Absolutely. And he conveys that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like that scene as well. Yeah. Uh, so was there, was there anything else that you really, really loved with the movie? Uh, I, I think this will be on your list, too, because I would say it's probably going to be on everyone's list who ever watches this movie. But my God, what a murderer's row of supporting cast like <laughs> Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Anderson actually absolutely kill it. I would not recast either one of them, mm-hmm. but I'm, I just wrote down some of the names and I'm just going to read them off and we can talk about anyone that you want. But you've got Justin Long. Joey Lauren Adams, Vincent D'Onofrio, Jason Bateman, Cole Hauser, and Margaret. And uh, you might not know the actor's name, but I know you know who he is. Keir O'Donnell. He was in Wedding Crashers. He was okay. the painter. Oh, who? wait, who was he in this? He was the nerdy guy, the apple martini guy. Holy shit. Did not even. Yep. I did not even pick up on that. <laughs> yep. But yeah, look at that cast and. And not only is it a great cast, but everybody crushes their individual scenes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vincent D'Onofrio, 
is only in like three scenes in this movie, but God, I love him as Dennis because you also have the emotional payoff at the end mm-hmm. uh, with him and Gary when he finally does his reports. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vincent D'Onofrio gives you drama and, you know, he's weirdly like cleaning out his ear with a towel at one point. <laughs> he's got all these nervous ticks. When he's talking um, about losing the condo and like, it's, it's now you'll just be paying rent instead of putting that money <laughs> into a mortgage where you can invest it and make more money. <laughs> just completely eccentric businessman. Yes, and not only that, he's um, in that same scene. He's he's talking about you're losing an asset. Uh, He's so when he's talking about getting the boats and the planes, because that's ultimately what he's afraid of is that this is going to set business back. But he's talking about taking Chicago from land, sea, and air. (laughs) He describes it like it's a military endeavor. At one point, I was like, I was waiting for him to bring up his military background, and he never does. I'm like, he never brings up being in the military or anything. But that is, yes, his strategy for everything is like, it does feel very military. I feel like that had to be a cut scene or something that was in the script that would pay that off. But it's funny, just based on that one scene, we get such a picture of him, especially since it's literally private pile. Yeah, well, and so that his characters, it's a great transition because another thing that I actually really liked about this movie was when it opens up, basically, the movie goes from zero to 60. Like there was a certain point in the movie where like, because it opens up, you have a great beginning montage with, you know, all of, oh, look at all the stuff they've done as a great couple and all that. Then it comes into them immediately, like, kind of setting up to do this dinner with their two families. They're having them together. And, like, I thought the dinner scene was a great way of setting up the we come from two different worlds without explicitly having someone have to say that line in the movie. Like, well, you know, you just come from two different worlds. I still thought it was a little cliche having that. Like, I didn't think that that added to why they didn't get along because there's plenty of people that come from the same fucking world that just don't like they just don't get along like there's personality problems or like but I did appreciate like they did not have to come out and be like so like on the nose about like they have very different backgrounds but the reason I brought that up is cuz that's when uh you know uh the brothers talking about coming in from land and air and then you have the other uh, what is it Brooks brother talking the, about the the tone rangers and his acapella group it's just like it is such a weird setting watching that but again i appreciate the foundation it created again establishing a little bit of the background of the characters without having to go into it and again being on the nose about someone saying like well you know you you come from a rich family and he comes from you know people trying to make it or something like that it it was nice them not having to be that you know yeah i'm glad you brought that up and i I just i have a lot to say about that so i'm gonna need you to do me a favor real quick Mm -hmm. i need you to move yourself uh, so I can talk about this scene a little bit. Uh, I wrote down, and it's a, a dramatic way to put it, but I just wanted some shorthand to remember it. I put class warfare. It's not it's not class warfare, but yeah, it's a perfect way to show kind of blue collar, working class, maybe votes Republican, and then liberal, you know, uh, yeah, social justice warrior, well, you know. Even beyond that, that kind of side. Yeah, the the attitudes with it too, because it's like the the just almost innocence, like naive to the rest of the world. With it's the two jokes, the knock knock joke, and then when he goes to say the brother goes to say the joke, <laughs> and you're just like, whoa! <laughs> and it's just like they just come from very different worlds. 
<laughs> but most importantly, though, why I think this is uh, legitimately a very, very good movie is, to your point, this is one of the funniest scenes in the movie, and it also is doing a great job of character illustration and letting us know a lot about both of these people and their families while still making it a bona fide great comedic scene. And I feel like that happens over and over again. That's why this movie is so good because when plot is moving, you're still laughing. Mm-hmm. Like when the gears are turning, you don't really hear it because you're laughing. Well, and it's a great thing because the the big I reveal isn't the right word, but like when when Gary finally comes to realize like he's a selfish asshole, it's when he's talking to his buddy, uh, was it Johnny O? You know, and he's like, and it's finally that realization, like, well, you know who you are. What, what the fuck does that mean? He goes, well, we everybody knows, Gary, you only do what you want to do. It's like, it's great because it calls back to that scene where that entire table is singing with, you know, the with the brother, with Brooke's brother, yep. except for Vince Vaughn's character, who still, even with everybody joining in, still refuses to be a part of it because he's put his foot down. He doesn't want to do it, and he's not going to do it. So even, even while everyone else is participating, even though they clearly don't want to, Vince Vaughn, Gary is still the only one who refuses to do it. Yes, and I love that Gary... This, this movie could have easily been Gary is a fun guy and everybody loves him and he's the perfect friend, except he's kind of a shitty boyfriend and, oh, he learns his lesson. But no, this movie goes a step further to show like the, the shit that Gary is doing in his relationship. He's doing it everywhere. He's doing it to everybody. Um, so it's, it's, it's a fundamental change he has to make. It's not just in service of a romantic relationship. It's just a character flaw in Gary that he learns by the end of this movie. And I just don't know that you ever see that, especially in a romantic comedy. Everything is about the relationship mm-hmm. that they aren't characters. They're just a couple But in this movie. That's not the case. And, and I do appreciate that. Yeah. So I've got one more thing that I really loved about the movie I want to go into before we jump into any changes we'd make. Um, And that is, I'm sure you noticed it a lot too, but the use of like a scene being accompanied by like the background music or like dialogue or like the video games being played in the background, I thought was, was just fantastic. Um, Like when Brooke comes in in the pool, the first scene where, you know, Gary's bought the pool table, even though they agreed not to do that. Um, Social Distortion is playing in the background, Ball and Chain, which is a fantastic song. And then she matches it with um, what's uh, Alanis Morissette, You Ought to Know. Like, there's all that. There's the scene where um, she's gotten the the waxing and she walks through the condo naked. And, like, the, the accompany to that is basically the boxing match where it's like, you know, he's winning. And then it sounds like the boxing match goes to hell. And then he gets knocked out in the video game. And it's like, oh, it's very clearly like, you know, this is accompanying what she's just done like i thought there was a lot of examples of that throughout the the movie and i just i loved every single one of them when they did that where it's like again it's just kind of juxtaposition of like what's going on in the background supports what's actually happening in the foreground and i love when directors and just you know really any medium does that where it's like it suddenly becomes yeah it's like a 4d experience like it's not you're not just looking in the foreground the background is also contributing very much to you know what's going on in the scene and i i thought that was fantastic throughout the movie oh brett uh, you might have to cut this out of the podcast because it might be a little bit too erotic but i fucking love you <laughs> um <laughs> I actually had two notes about that 
kind of very same thing. I didn't pick up on the music. I, obviously, the Alanis Morissette hit was obvious. I did not realize that what he was listening to previously was called Ball and Chain, though. Yeah. So that's brilliant. So two other things. Uh, I'll start with the boxing one because you brought it up. Not only is it, you know, he's winning the fight at the beginning and then once she walks through with the Telly Savalas, he loses all his shit and gets knocked out. But also... I played the game that he's playing. It's called Fight Night. It's a boxing game. If you look at that scene, he is a fighter that he is playing as. He's fighting a guy who is like four or five weight classes below him. In other words, no boxing organization would ever sanction that fight because one guy weighs 260 pounds and the other weighs like 170. Mm -hmm. But it was funny to me that Gary would pick at fight and just beat up on a little person. It's kind of like this relationship, not in the sense that Brooke is weaker than him, but it's like, this fight is unnecessary. You, you mm. could just fix this and it would be fine. Well, but you instead are just beating something just to beat it because your ego is out of control. And, and then well, the other one, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and, and I don't know if this is intentional or not with the video games, but he's playing Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, and at a certain point when she goes on the first date with the martini guy, he pauses the game, and when he pauses the game, you can see the map is like like the whole map, and he's been basically stuck in a corner of that entire game. I'm like, I don't know if that was intentional or like it's just that's, you know, they're making a movie, they're not going to play the whole game, but I'm like... For me, I'm like, oh, it shows how stunted he is. Like, he hasn't explored the entire map that's available to him. He's stuck in the small corner doing the same thing over and over again. He's unwilling to get outside his comfort zone and actually grow. And I'm like, I don't know if they meant to do that, but I really loved that touch. <laughs> you know? Oh, God. I, I know the scene you're talking about. I did not think about that at all. But, yeah. oh, Lord, I hope that's intentional. Yeah. Which, this, this director, did you recognize the name? Yes. I know some of the other projects he's been on. Yeah, so Peyton Reed did the first Ant-Man. He did both of them. So, oh, did he? Okay. Think, yeah. Um, but the, the other touch that I liked, uh, again, man, I, I feel like this, the San Andreas thing has to be intentional because another time, uh, it's I think it's when they are first broken up and they're starting the apartment war, but there's a time where he's having an argument with Brooke and he's watching the Cubs because, of course, and the Cubs are losing seven to nothing, which in baseball – I mean, that's they like should have ended the down game. 30 in basketball. <laughs> yeah. And it's just interesting to me that, again, it, why are you fighting this losing battle, Gary? Like you're down seven to nothing. Like just swallow your pride look in the mirror and fix this shit. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that they would put a game on. You know, it wasn't three to two. It wasn't six to four it was seven nothing cubs just get their ass beat mm -hmm. and then the last little thing about like kind of the background and, and understanding kind of like the environment that they're in is like the apartment is very clearly decorated by brooke like it is very clearly that she's the one who's just you can try and say man woman type thing but just the characters that they developed in the in the movie that gary hasn't done that with the exception of two things a there's a gigantic baseball poster in in the living room that, you know, it's a nice baseball poster, too, but it's framed on the wall. And the second thing is, I I actually had to think about this, and it wasn't until he made the line where he's teasing the kid about, like, can you even see what you're doing on your TV? Where I'm like, okay, this is supposed to be a big TV for this time. Like, it's we live in an age now where, like, of course, like, a 76-inch TV is, like, <laughs> to think that's a, a standard size. Like, they're just huge. 
But I'm like, I'm like, okay, so it has to be like this gigantic TV in this poster. The only thing that that you know, basically, Gary has marked in this apartment. Outside of that, basically, Brooke has done everything else. So it's like even the putting him, he's already somewhat out of his element unless he is inside that space, which he you know calls his room after the breakup. Yes, and, and there's another – it confirms what you're saying because they call it out in dialogue when they're talking about um, you know the condo being sold. Uh, he brings up the fact that he did basically all of like the shit that would bring value to mm-hmm. the condo. Like he insults her shit basically saying it's going to actually cost us money because nobody wants to live in a place that has – I can't remember the line, but like what if they don't like turquoise walls? Yeah. Um, Whereas he's saying, you know, I did the plumbing, blah, blah, blah. I installed, you know, a new sink, whatever. He's saying that what he brings to the table is more valuable and her shit is just uh, uh, cosmetic, essentially. So, yeah, they directly call that out with dialogue. Yep. So was there anything else you wanted to touch on in terms of, you know, uh, things you really enjoyed about the movie before we jump into, you know, things we might change about it? Um, Just generally real quick. We talked about the cast, but if you haven't seen this movie and you're listening to this, I can't tell you how great, you know, we could spend this whole podcast just dropping quotes from this movie because it's that funny. Uh, you probably don't want to do that, Brett, because you just live up in your ivory tower and that's <laughs> that's where you make moves from. But some people would like to hear some of the quotes, so um, we could spend that whole time doing it. I, you probably don't want to. I'm an adult. I talk through shit, so if you want to talk about it, we could. But uh, but yeah, other than that, no. I just this is a very quotable movie, and and that's the last thing that I really really love. Uh, just if you don't find a favorite quote from this movie, uh, you don't have a pulse. So that's actually a great transition to one of the things I thought was interesting about or I maybe would have changed about this movie is this movie well, real has quick, Brett, the fact that you're not going to name one line you love. It, it, it makes me rethink this. I, I don't want to spend my time with an inconsiderate prick. You're a prick. <laughs> all, right, all right, go ahead. <laughs> all right. Let's... I deserve someone who gives a shit. That's all I'm saying. Go ahead. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Um, yeah, go play your stupid ass video game, Brett. Uh, so we'll jump into some aftermarket. So I thought we've already talked about the cast of characters in this in this. The ensemble is is great. Most of the the friends on Gary's side are degenerates. Um, I will say <laughs> that, um, which is weird because I felt like most of the time they got the most like you know, I, I want to say words of wisdom, almost like, you know, Confucius type, you know, stuff, uh, you know, but I didn't think, I thought it was weird putting, having it come from them in this movie. Um, I thought the, the brother, when he's talking about, you know, the house cats, like, you know, you're, you've been, you've been domesticated. You're, you're a house cat now, but now you're back out in the wild and the world has changed. He goes on a monologue about how technology's changed and everybody wants everything immediately. I'm like, holy shit, does this hold up 14 years later? <laughs> like, Tinder? Like, yeah, Tinder, just anything. You have Tinder, Instagram, Snapchat, everything is instant gratification. I'm like, oh, wow, this, this really holds up. But when it comes from a degenerate like that, it gives you a little bit of pause because it's like, 
okay, like, is this actually words of wisdom? Because everything else, like, when he starts talking about to the girl about, like, I just want to take you home. I want to get you undressed. I want to wrap you up in cellophane, and I just want to poke two holes. One hole for you to breathe. It's just, you're a creep. And then just walks off. And it's just, like, it's one of those things, like, they immediately, like, then put him in another weird position. Or, like, when Johnny O, Johnny O starts off saying, like, oh, she's done you wrong. We're going to find the guy she's sleeping with. Then the next time he's like really has a sit down heart to heart with him. It's about like, oh, no, you're the fuck up here, Gary. Like everybody knows you're kind of the fuck up and like has the heart to heart about like you only do what you want to do. Like, you know, this really heartfelt moment, words of wisdom. You know, that's really the moment where Gary realizes he is in the wrong because it's not just Brooke. It's got to be like, oh, you know, the person who I guess I'm closest with John Yo also says that, you know, I'm I'm kind of a a self-centered asshole. And then the next scene is again Johnny O saying we'll find the guy and we'll kill him. So I'm like, it's one of these things where like I feel like you're going for like a Yoda moment where it's like, oh, you're not expecting the words of wisdom to come from this character, but at the same time, they go right back into being degenerates. So it's like it's weird to me to have these moments of wisdom and then they immediately fall back into like, wait, was that actually wisdom? I don't, I'm like, were they right in what they were talking about, or like, was that was that a chance happening? Like, it was just weird to me that that's where. The, the smartest people in the movie or the smartest comments in the movie come from probably the most dege- the biggest degenerates, you know? So it, it's funny you mentioned that because that ties perfectly into my one complaint about this movie. But I want to make sure that you've you've had enough space. Like, did you have any further commentary on on that particular phenomenon in uh, this movie? On that particular phenomenon? Yeah, no. Go, please. Um. <laughs> So, number one, let me say, uh, as I mentioned before, contrasting us, you, you know, you were lucky enough to find, you know, the love of your life very early on. Uh, I, I'm on the opposite end of that. Also, I think in I'm my right life, here, I've hung out. I'm right here. <laughs> well, of course, of course. Let's talk about it off podcast. <laughs> but I think I've probably hung out with way more degenerates than you. So let me just first say some of the best advice I've ever gotten or received. I don't know if gotten's an uh, accurate word, mm-hmm. but uh, has, has come from degenerates, people that uh, I probably wouldn't trust to water my plant while I'm away, um, but they still imparted wisdom. So I just mm-hmm. want to say it, that is that does exist in reality, degenerates who still can give sage advice oh and that, that's not my criticism my criticism isn't in terms of a, like a media like a movie it's just weird that you wouldn't have them continue to be philosophical like it's basically they kind of give a one-off and then immediately go back into being like a degenerate Which, well see my complaint more is that i don't i feel like all of the great wisdom is only given to gary's friends mm. which i think is what's your point too mm-hmm. none of the great quotable not quotable but like oh my god like you said the the thing about instant gratification or the thing about hey you're a fun guy everybody likes you but you just do what you want all of those lines were gary's side of things Mm -hmm. i feel like because of the age of this movie i don't feel like brooks friends and brooks side of things got as fleshed out as as much as gary's uh so that was kind of my complaint because I feel like this movie is trying to show, hey, this is how a woman 
can mess up a relationship and this is how a man can mess up a relationship because you know you know brooks bringing guys around you know brooks trying to manipulate things but i feel like the movie as presented if you really look at it gary seems like 95 percent in the wrong um it just part of this i'm gonna save it because it goes into how i would literally change this movie and chop shop but i just think for a movie that tries to make you view two characters as equal and both at fault to me it's like no gary's just mostly at fault I, i don't know if you felt that way I'm actually glad you said that. That was my other note here was that I felt that that Brooks Arch felt incomplete or sacrificed to focus on Gary. I felt like they really started at both of them were going to have to grow. uh, And then at a certain point, it takes a hard twist or hard turn. And it's basically Gary becomes the protagonist of the film. Like at a certain point, you know, in the beginning, they're sharing the time. It's balanced. And then at a certain point, it takes a hard turn and Gary becomes the clear protagonist of the movie. And it's essentially they prove everything that Brooke said was right. Her means of, you know, her ends did not justify her means. Like the way she went about it was wrong. But at the end of the day, like Gary had to grow up. Gary had to learn, you know, had had to to learn and change. And by the time Gary realizes that it's too late. Brooke has moved on. She's exhausted. She can't keep doing this. Um, and that was my thought. I was like, to me, they never really give Brooke what her growing moment is. And I even actually went back and rewatched the final scene of the movie multiple times because when she's on the phone call, I'm trying to see, like, you know, is her moment of growth growth where she realizes to be more direct and up forward with with somebody. She doesn't try and do the manipulation or, or wait for somebody to give her satisfaction because there's a scene where, I'm sorry, I still do not remember the... Marilyn Dean. Dean. M. Dean. I'll just try and call her that. There's M. Dean where she's like, hey, honey, you know, take however much time you need, whatever you need. I want you back. But if your your fate takes you somewhere else, at least give me a text. And like that's where Brooke finally gets the the someone to recognize her for her her greatness finally comes from M. Dean at the end of the movie. And then but I'm like, to me, it should have been Brooke didn't learns that she doesn't need someone else's satisfaction, that she's independent. She doesn't need someone to tell her how great she is. But like, again, it, to me, it never gets to a point where, where Brooke grew through the whole thing. Basically, the end is just Brooke realizes, like, I don't want to put any more time or energy into this because it's not going anywhere. I've done everything I can, regardless if it was the right way to go about it. Like, it's just it's too late. Yeah, I, I took that last scene on Brooke's side of things to be that she's basically just become... The new Marilyn Dean, which is just lazy storytelling like, hey, you know, we do have a female lead in this movie and we want to make Vince Vaughn the protagonist. What's the the quickest, laziest storyline we can give to Brooke? Oh, she's just going to become this this older lady, Marilyn Dean, who, you know, quote unquote, has things figured out, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I just thought I thought Brooke got shortchanged on an actual arc as a character, like mm. you said. And lastly, what I'll say before we, we jump into Chop Shop is that the my biggest gripe with the entire movie is actually the end of the movie. Um, and it's not because they leave it open. I have no problem with that. Like, I loved Inception with the way that they ended that movie. Like, I don't have a problem with an open-ended movie where, you know, we can have a discussion about what do you think happens here? Because I feel like they leave it open where it's like, okay, clearly both characters have been keeping up with one another through their friends, Right. Gary, he's going to say, I heard you did this. And then Brooks, well, I, you know, congratulations to the boat. So clearly they still care about each other enough to, to learn about what, 
what's going on in their lives. But then they split, and it's like one of those like he winks back, and it's like, oh, are they gonna try and get back together? Have they both grown, or no? You know, are they just gonna be friends? But I'm like, that contradicts everything this movie was about. The whole movie was about clear lines of communication and telling people what you want and what you need. And I'm like, the movie should have had a conclusion because that's what the whole movie was about was communication. And instead. They basically abandon that message at the end when they decide not to communicate to the audience as to what's going to happen. They leave it open-ended so that you can create the story that you want in the end. And I'm like, that's, again, as we've been talking about, the whole thing is like, oh, no, because I'm going to interject my life into it. And I'm going to make my own assumptions about how I think it ends as opposed to being like, oh, no, you're you're telling me what happened, you know. And I, I did not. I thought that that was that was a misstep in how this movie chose to end. Interesting. Um, I, I probably don't even want to talk about that because that's going to fit perfectly with my chop shop. So do you want to roll into the chop shop? <laughs> Let's get in some chop shop. So it's funny through hearing your side of this, because, again, for everybody at home, we do not talk about this at all before we start the podcast. Um, it's interesting. My chop shop, I didn't even consider some of the things you were talking about as far as the way this movie was shot. Um, to your point, it, it's shot like a early 2000s rom-com. Mm -hmm. even though the subject matter seems a bit more serious to say the least. Um, if, if I could redo this, if I could make a change, if I could just be master of the universe, this would be an HBO like four to six episode limited series. Um, because I think everything it does, it could benefit from expansion and a little more craft all around. Um, like, I think the script is phenomenal for this, but I think if you were to make it in 2021 as a limited series on HBO, you could cover, you could still be funny. I mean, that's still the network that brings you, you know, secession or Eastbound and down or vice principles. I mean, name all the funny comedies they have, but, uh, that's also the network that brings you true detective and the wire and the Sopranos. They're, they're great about melding comedy and drama. And I think this script is, is ripe for a more serious take on it, both in you know the script, even though I think it, it, it finds the balance almost perfectly between comedy and drama, but most importantly, the way it's shot. Like if this were shot like a prestige drama, I, it, it would go a long way. Um, I, I have more and I want to expand, but I want to give you a chance to just talk about what do you think about that as a general premise? I think definitely. Um, I think just redefining the genre of this movie, I think rom-com was a studio wanted that put on there. I, and it goes back to that last scene where they felt like they had to leave it open-ended. So somebody could feel like, Oh, they're going to get back together or something like that. Or I'm like, I feel like if you just called this a dramedy, it'd be better than trying to call it a rom-com because I really don't 
feel it was a, a rom-com and i don't know if that's just because i feel like in a rom-com they have to get back together at the end that's just that's because it has to be a romantic well, comedy I mean, they're not together through the whole movie so yeah by definition it's not really a rom-com yeah there's no romance in this movie like it ends basically five minutes into this movie there is no romance it is gone after that and it never resolves it never comes back um i definitely think that you could definitely expand it it, it gives you more time to to focus more on brooke, brooke. It, yeah it, yes. it, it allows you to flush her out more um which is needed because brooke's a, she's a good character there's i have no problems or flaws even her motivation what she wants to do you know it is funny the whole mentality of like i'm gonna teach him a lesson while at the same time winning him back like it's almost a paradox in how you're going to do that like i'm going to make him regret what he did you know and he's going to come back to me better than ever and it's like that's a, a strange way to do it after you've broken up and the, the good thing is brooke's friend kind of you know reiterates that like throughout the movie like oh yeah you definitely you're teaching him a lesson by making him shirtless in the parking lot like yeah good good job <laughs> like you've, you've done a great job setting that up and like the you know, the, the supporting cast definitely does wind up being both the voice of reason and also being just completely off base and wrong. But, yeah, I, I think it could definitely benefit from more time. More time and a more serious approach. But mm-hmm. my my biggest thing, if if I were going to update this and make it a, a, a limited series, again, what I mentioned earlier, this movie, I think, tries to show – both the way men and women can hurt a relationship, but man, and and let me preface it by saying one of my biggest pet peeves in the world is, uh, people who throw around the term gaslighting all the time. Mm -hmm. Like that term has been overused to the point where now it's, it's parody when I hear it because people, people want to apply it to just anything that makes them unhappy or uncomfortable. It's gaslighting. God mm-hmm. forbid. But this movie, Gary is a, at least in one scene is a hundred percent gaslighter. And for, I, I wrote down almost verbatim the dialogue because I wanted to make sure I was, I was writing what I was seeing, but off the top of your head, do you know the scene I'm talking about? I'm sure I could come up with it. Um, yeah, don't put too much thought in it. I have it. I have it ready here. Yeah, go you're ahead. not a bad guy if you don't immediately know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> it's it's literally the breakup scene. Um, he he comes home. He doesn't have the twelve lemons. Which it's it over time. That's one of the funniest scenes in the movie. This whole breakup scene. But it's really the most like. Gary's a piece of shit moment as well, because what is she worried about? She's, she's worked all day on the dinner. She asked for one thing. He didn't bring it. He gets home. She's asking him, Hey, go ahead and get showered, get ready. Because if you're not, and they get here, I'm going to have to do all of this by myself. What does he do? He wants to play the video game. He wants to relax. And then company shows up. What does he do? He runs to the shower. And then after they leave, after everybody leaves the dinner, it's again, it's one of the funniest scenes in the movie, but again, comedy actually serving character. He's, he's telling everybody goodbye. He's putting on that performance. What does he do? As soon as the door closes, do you remember the shot? Like the door's not even closed and he's booking it to the living room. Yeah, he kicks off. Yeah. He, yeah. He goes to lay it down while she needs to go do the dishes. Yes. So she wants him to help do the dishes. Um, 
what does he say? She asks him to help. He says, let me just sit here and, and, and let my food digest. Mm-hmm. He's laying down. If you, if you know anything about food dige- digestion, that's the worst <laughs> position you can be in to digest food. You need to be upright. So he's laying down. Okay, he wants to relax. He just wants some some peace, some calm, some relax. He's beating someone with a baseball bat in Grand Theft Auto. Eh, doesn't seem all that relaxing. Okay, she keeps, quote unquote, nagging him about the dishes. He finally agrees to do it, but what does he say? Fine, I'll help you do the damn dishes. And then he throws his controller. Mm-hmm. Clearly not eager to actually help. She calls that out. She says basically, hey, that's not what I want. He's like, well, you just asked me to do the dishes. What does she say? I want you to want to do the dishes. Why would I want to do dishes? That's a funny line. Yeah. But he's being a gigantic prick. Um. And then he says, again, hilarious line. Are you upset because I don't have a strong desire to do the dishes? Funny line. But he's setting her up. It's not about the dishes and he knows it. And then she goes off on him. And then what does he say? Jesus, Brooke, you're acting crazy. Yeah. That's gaslighting. Mm-hmm. And then she gets mad. Don't call me crazy. And he says, I didn't call you crazy. I said, you're acting crazy gaslighting if, if you do a six episode drama about this i could believe that gary like i could believe that the movie or tv show is telling me hey yeah gary's being shitty here but in this movie it just feels like comedy that's why like you said the rom-com label needs to be removed lean more into the dramedy i think this is ripe for a 2021 update no, I don't even know if it would need that much updating, honestly. it's No, yeah, there, barely. Yeah, there's a lot of it that's still... The script still holds true, I think, to, to a movie that you would make 15, 16 years later. Um, yeah, I think there's just different shots, and, like, again, there's always the aging of, like, when she picks up the, the like, landline, you're like, oh, shit, who still has a landline? Oh, that was one right. I think... I, I, I audibly, like, I... Because me and Kate watched the movie together. When she goes and gets the two beers at the concert, she goes, that'll be $8. I'm like, what the fuck? She goes, what? I'm like, it's only $8 for two beers? I'm like, fuck, it'd be $8 for one these days. I'm like, I, I'm angry about that. <laughs> Like, the fuck inflation has destroyed this fucking country. <laughs> um, well, at least the wages are going up to uh, to coincide. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, I, I would like to see, yeah, it, it kind of expanded. And again, not changing the cast. I think if you kept the same cast, it would be really interesting to see how you would build build upon it. Yeah, and I guess the only other question I have in my chop shop, and then I'll be done, is... As much as I hated Gary in this movie as to how he treated her, did you feel like there was ever a time when Gary was right when he was talking to her? Because I can only think of one. Absolutely. And it's funny when you started bringing up the scene about the gaslighting because I was about to be like, ooh, I'm about to get targeted here. When he comes home and he's like, listen, I just got home. The first thing I don't want you to do is ask me a bunch of things or nag me. I've had to have that conversation (laughs) before. I have had now yes, I didn't. Same. I didn't, and it was when he started screaming, and he does that, like you're acting crazy. I'm like, oh, this is when I'm not Gary anymore. This is I don't do this. I'm not Gary anymore. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is this is where he took it too far because I'm like, again, the whole communication thing. I there was a certain point where I had to be with Kate. And I was like, listen, I understand, like you've got stuff coming. I you know it's on the top of your mind. I just got home, but I'm like, I need you to write it down. 
and give me a 20 to 30 minute buffer to where I can come home after being at work and dealing with other people's fucking problems all day. Let, let me crack a beer. Let me sit down, drink some water, grab a snack or something like give me. I need a decompression zone. I've just been sitting in traffic. I'm like, that wasn't a de- like give me the decompression. Then I'll help you with whatever you want. But like, I need you. You have to give me a barrier so that I can I can get out of out of work mode. No, 100 percent, because I, I wrote that whole fucking dialogue down because I, I agree. We're on the same page. I'm just going to read it real quick. All you do is nag me. The bathroom is a mess. Your belt doesn't match. Hey, Gary, you should probably go work out. Nothing I ever do is good enough. Now, he goes to the extreme and says, I just want to be left the hell alone. Mm-hmm. But to your point, if a couple was communicating, it would never have to get to that point. Yeah. Because he could express, I just want to be left alone for 30 minutes when I get back to the house. Mm-hmm. After that, I am back as an active member of this relationship. And then... The other one, just in that same conversation, because I, I've literally had this experience. Again, we, we mentioned earlier, you're the lucky one. Uh, you know, I've had some degenerates, both <laughs> romantically and, and friendship wise. But when she mentioned it would have been nice if he brought home flowers and he tells her, you know, on our first date, you literally said flowers are a waste of money. And then she's like, well, every girl loves flowers that I've had that happen a million times where (laughs) people in a relationship at the, in the honeymoon stage, they say whatever they think is going to sound best, but that's not how they truly feel. Mm -hmm. So again, that's communication. You have to be honest about that. Either she thinks flowers are a waste of money or she thinks they're romantic. You, a, a man, unfortunately in a relationship, a lot of times we're just black or white. Well, you don't you don't like flowers okay i'll never buy them it's, it's like you don't like asparagus we're never gonna eat it well it's like gary you says know, i'm not a mind reader <laughs> how am i supposed yes. to know that <laughs> yeah he's literally like so i'm supposed to take it that when you say you don't like flowers you do like flowers so again that's why communication is key i will admit in almost every relationship i've ever had i've been the more simple creature um So sometimes I take things too literally, and I think men do in general. So communication is important. Absolutely. So, Travis, I'm going to take my chop shop in a slightly different direction here. Oh, I'm intrigued. You know what this, you would help this, this, this couple get back together to find the bond that keeps them together. Oh, Jesus. As if they had to, if they had to go on an international mystery and solve it. All right, Travis. Now, we already know from the movie that Gary has a large knowledge of Chicago because he's he's Chicago's best tour guide. And we know that Brooke has a background in art, right? A lot of art. There's a simple line said when Gary's talking about, you know, uh, a throwaway line is he, he's being the tour guide about the Chicago fire that burnt the city down. And, you know, Chicago's a second city because it was built on those ashes. So I'm thinking at some point, towards the beginning of the movie, they're going to get into a fight, you know? And it's not going to be one of these fights where they throw something at each other, but, like, they're going to stumble or something's going to happen. They're going to they're bump into a piece of artwork, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to break, and they're going to find a mysterious map and these symbols or something like that, <laughs> right? And, like, okay. they're going to have to combine their knowledge of Chicago and art to unravel this mystery. Now, I'm not sure if you know this or not, Travis, or any of our listeners, but Chicago is actually a sister city to 29 
different cities around the world. All right. And some okay. of those cities, some of those cities are uh, Gothenburg, Sweden, Hamburg, Germany, uh, Shanghai, China, but a little place called Athens, Greece. All right. Okay. All right. Now, Athens, oh. Greece, Athens, Greece, you might know, there's a lot of gods, you know, Greece is, has, has a, a long history of gods, right? Um, so I'm thinking at a certain point, we find out that Dean is actually a Greek goddess, all right? And that Chicago has become a hub to sell all of this artwork, all right? And the reason okay. the reason these gods have to sell this artwork is because they still exist, but people stopped praising them. And the praising them and the love that they got is what kept the gods alive. So what they basically had to do is they've now basically cursed all of this artwork that M. Dean is helping sell and putting people's homes, all right? So it brings back to that, that weird thing that Brooke had above in the house that she sells to the rich guy. So this artwork is slowly draining the love out of people's lives and relationships, all right? So and it's feeding these ancient gods so that they continue to survive. And Brooke and Gary find this out, all right? Not only that, their real estate friend is in on it because the condo that they live in, the whole building is a conduit to the gods, all right? And the original fire in Chicago Another couple found out and tried to burn the city to the ground to stop the portal uh, to, to, from taking people's love and giving it to these gods. <laughs> now, at a certain point, at a certain point, Travis, Brooke is going to be captured like in any classic rom-com mystery thriller, right? And Gary's okay. going to have to get her back. And you know how Gary's going to have to do it? I'm listening. The one thing he hates. The one thing he hates, Travis, in the whole movie. He can't stand it. Goes on a whole rampage about it. The ballet. <laughs> Gary. Okay. Gary is going to have to join the ballet in order to save Brooke. And then that's, that's when Gary realizes that he has to sacrifice the things that he hates doing in order to save the love of his life. What do you think? What do you think my chop shop? Um, I guess my first question is, what kind of drugs were you on when you <laughs> came up with this? <laughs> Would you mind sending me some? I don't know what you're talking about. I feel like I feel like most of the movies already shot. All right, Travis. I only need I need a small budget. I need to reshoot half the movie, and I think I can make it work with what's going on. I. I legitimately think we should just stop recording and let's go ahead and uh, tweet or whatever they do. Let's hit up Vince Vaughn because I feel like this is something that. Uh, Vinny Vaughn, yeah. Vinny Vaughn. And I feel like we could go ahead and, and, and hit up the Godfather, too. All right. He's got a lot more money back. He could produce it. Yeah. You know. And I mean, this movie was PG thirteen, so I think it, it could work for Disney Plus. I don't it could be there at a more mature entry. Mm -hmm. I think it's ripe. I think it's ripe with opportunity. Think Da Vinci Code meets the breakup. You know. The only reason I'm upset is because I do love this movie. Spoiler. 
when we we talk about it at the end but i i now legitimately just want this movie instead because it would have everything this movie has with some uh, indiana jones level intrigue exactly see <laughs> it's no longer oh, okay. yeah yeah do you, you, you that's an A plus. I'll just go ahead and tuck my HBO series back here in this filing cabinet, and you know we'll get to it one day. All right. So now that we have a couple chop shops, we're gonna jump into our our second to last segment here. Tagline. All right. Our you know registration. I have three taglines for you. I need you to tell me which tagline belongs to this movie. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Here you go. Your first tagline is pick a side. Your second tagline is they're spitefully romantic. And your third tagline is winner take all. I need you to tell me what was the tagline for the 2006 hit The Breakup. And by hit, I mean, uh, I think it's hovering around a f- like 50% <laughs> rating on most, on like Rotten Tomatoes was IMDb and Metacritic. Yeah, which surprised me, but yeah, I'll cover that in a bit. Um, so what was the third tagline? I was writing down the first two and didn't catch it. Winner take all. Okay. All right. So do you want me to tell you what I think is actually the tagline or what actually would make sense as the tagline? I think I want you to tell me what the tagline for this movie was. Okay. So I don't think it's spitefully romantic because that feels uh, too modern for the year that came out. So I'm going to say no to that one. Is that is that correct? All right. I. You are correct, but let's see. The movie that that comes from, <laughs> I don't think is very modern. It is my favorite breakup movie of all time. Oh, God. Uh, it came out in 1999. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ten Things I Hate About You. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, clearly ahead of its time <laughs> by my measurement. Okay. So that's out. so you are between pick a side and winner take all. Actually, I, I know what it is, and I think it's the best one. I'm going to eliminate winner take all. OK, is that correct? Correct. Pick a side is the appropriate tagline for the movie. I only remember that because I had it on DVD and I remember that cover. Yeah. What was winner takes all? I made that one up. So typically when I do these, I'll grab one from another movie that I think is a neighboring genre. Um, and then or. I will make one up myself. Well, you should have saved Winner Takes All for Mr. and Mrs. Smith because I would have believed that as the tagline. Um, so what I thought about Pick Aside was the tagline is in the movie, they, they don't really push too much of the taking aside. Like there is the scene in the bowling alley where basically she kicks him out, which I didn't understand. Uh, not to, to get to derail too far. She kicks him out of the bowling team because it's a couple's bowling team. Who was her couple in the bowling team? What do you mean, who was her couple? It was a couple's bowling league. They kicked Gary out, so then who was she bowling with? Her whole thing was, you can't have two singles, but I'm like, you can because you don't have one double. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's actually a good point. That's the one thing. I, <laughs> well, when she's making that it, argument, it made no sense. And then afterwards, she's like, oh, we have another Gary. But I'm like, that Gary wasn't there. And they were clearly lacing up to play. So I was just like, that's a very weird argument to me. Yeah, I, I won't nitpick that because yeah. that's just. Yeah, no, that, yeah no, I, I have no fault with that. That's a tiny thing. Mm-hmm. So. But yeah, good job. You got it. The other tagline for this movie was <laughs> the other tagline for the movie was an X-rated comedy. Which I thought made no didn't make very much sense. Like it was a clever line, but the movie wasn't rated R or X, so I'm not sure like it didn't it didn't work for this movie. Yeah, I would have been fine with that cuz I, I do think that this movie does a good job of skirting the PG-13 line. Mm-hmm. Like at a certain point, I, I wondered if it was an, an R-rated movie. Uh, and it wasn't until my rewatch that I realized it was PG-13. But I, yeah, I, I would have bought that tagline. I would have been fine with that. Mm-hmm. So I do wonder if the rating of this movie would be much higher if it was not labeled a rom-com. Because like to your point, when you the first time you saw it is you took a date to a movie, that would be a very awkward movie to leave like a first date or any like early date is like oh yeah we yeah. went and watched this well, rom-com where they split a, up not only a first date but even if you're in a somewhat long-term relationship and things aren't going great this could really put a microscope on it and mm. like yeah let's drive home separately yeah so yeah I, I agree if this had been a dramedy it it would be much more well regarded so with that, we'll go ahead and transition to our last little thing. Uh, overall, what you know, would you buy, rent, recommend? What's where? Where do you put this movie in in your uh, in your wheelhouse? Uh, well, I tipped my hand when I said that I remembered the tagline from the DVD cover. Uh, so I have owned this movie on DVD, and at the time when I bought that on DVD, I just appreciated it. You know, as I said in the open, as a comedy in the vein of old school or, or wedding crashers, uh, step brothers, that whole era of comedy. Um, but I wonder subconsciously, did I also love this movie? Because I do think it is a realistic depiction of relationships and how they are good and how they can go wrong. So this is absolutely something that if I find that there's a Blu-ray out there that maybe has a commentary or at least some level of special features, I, I, I plan on repurchasing this and, and adding it to my physical collection. So, uh, yeah, outstanding film, even better than I remembered. What about you? Uh, I don't know if it's one that I would add to my physical collection, but I definitely think it's worth watching. Um, I wouldn't watch it as a rom-com. <laughs> That's for sure. I think you have to be a little bit more conscious of the setting in which you are watching the movie. Uh, but I definitely think it's it it is it holds up, and I think it is worth a watch in today, even today's climate. So I, I would definitely recommend if you can get it on streaming somewhere. Uh, it might even be worth the, the $4 rental. Um, yeah, but it, it's definitely worth watching. Now, I guess I, I want to ask you then, is there a movie in this vein that you would recommend on a physical level that comes off the top of your head? I mean, if we're talking like this weird, like rom, I, I still 10 things I hate about you is by far my favorite kind okay. of in this in this genre of like, you know, battle of the sexes, like two parties, you know, combatant with one another. So do you consider that a true rom-com? 
Yeah, and again, I, I hate to say that the you know part of a rom com checklist is they have to get back together at the end, but like to me, in a rom com, they have to get back together at the end. Like at that, that's fair. <laughs> so, um, and that's why I said like I I just I I think this movie was mislabeled. Like it's because it had to do with the relationship. The studio decided to put romance on it, and like there's just there's no romance in this movie at all. So I don't understand why that is on, it, part of the genre. So one last question, and this might be something that you want to edit out of the podcast, but what do you classify Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind as? I would still just put that as a comedy drama, honestly. I don't know if I would put that as a romance because although they are exploring, there are some romance. I don't know. Maybe romance is a weird category for me to put things in. I just to me, that is still a, a, a drama to me. It just it has it is built around a relationship. And I don't think a movie being built about around a, you know, uh, a relationship should be considered a romance. Like by that definition, if you have, you know, a, two best friends, is that a romance? Like, would you call, would you call, um, a super bad, a romance, a bromance, a bromance. Okay. Yeah. So, but even then, they still stay together at the end. Like, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's it's the, I don't know. I'd, I'd have a, I don't know if I would call Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind a romance. I, w- I, would, put, I, I would put it in this, in this, I guess this weird gray zone that the breakup is in, where it's like, it is about a relationship, but I don't know if I would go so far as to call it about romance or being romantic. That's fair. I think one of the reasons that I brought it up is because I think if you, you know, if this were a, a recipe, if you threw in a dash of eternal sunshine into this, not, not the fantastical element, but just the, how we're going to treat this dramatically. If you had thrown in a pinch more of that, I think the breakup would be an all timer mm-hmm. or for a particular category. So um, yeah, I was just curious how you classified that movie because I think, in my head, if this could be tweaked a little bit, it would fall more into the internal sunshine uh, category. And even because eternal sunshine is actually labeled, it's a drama romance sci-fi to me at the end, they're still exploring what made them together throughout that movie. Whereas the breakup is almost explicitly about them getting back at each other. Like very, even through uh, Jennifer Aniston Brooks attempts to teach Gary a lesson and get him to come back. She still never does it in a romantic gesture up until the very end of the movie, at which point it's already, you know, too little too late. Like the entire thing is about her trying to teach him a lesson and then he'll come back to her when he realizes he has nothing. And to me, that's not a romantic gesture, you know? Yeah, very true. Very true. So yeah, that that's why yeah, it, it's weird that this movie even has romance as a, a tagline, other than the Hollywood machine. To your point, knowing that it will make more money if it's marketed that way. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, that's all I got. Cool. Well, uh, we look forward to having you all back next week when we uh, round out the trilogy with Southpaw. Which I don't know if you realize, Brett, um, uh, Cole from Mortal Kombat, born on the south side of Chicago, mm-hmm. this movie, Chicago. I'm not 100% sure where Southpaw takes place, but if it's Chicago, eh, we got an accidental trilogy. Yeah, Chicago beatdown is what we'll, we'll call this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend, you got anything else before we close this episode out? Nope, I think that'll do it. 
Well, I just want to let you know. I still don't appreciate you not bringing up any quotes. And if it happens again, I just want to let you know, I know a few Polacks that don't have a future and I don't mind calling them. I we'll see you next week. I don't want you to do that. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm not, I'm not, I really don't want you to do that. No, no, I got you. No, I got you. That makes sense. Yeah. Now say it louder. Seriously, Travis, don't, I do not want you to do anything. No, 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 I got you. Hey, um, I will tell you though, cops are smart. Okay. I, I know. So, uh, phone records, uh, you know, head on, make a few phone calls tonight. Go ahead. Especially around 10. Bye. See ya. On that particular phenomenon, yeah, no, go, please. <laughs>